0: Fire and Bones podcast, a conversation between two pastors over the text we are preaching this week. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama.
1: And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin,
0: Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it, and most of all, share this podcast with a pastor you know might benefit from it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode.
1: The question I want to know is, would you consider yourself a believer? Would you would you say that about yourself?
0: Uh I I, I am I, I have become a believer. <laughs> and I <laughs> <laughs> I do you know how stupid I felt it's, even just saying it that? It
1: sounds so ridiculous to <laughs> say or even ask. I feel like a child. Like, why are we doing a podcast? Who are we? We're we're talking about being a believer. What is this? I I'm, I am right there
0: with all the thirteen year old girls. Yeah. Did you uh, have you
1: ordered a poster yet to put up in the office?
0: It's over my bed. I'm trying to talk my wife into hanging a Justin Bieber poster <laughs> over my bed right oh, now. Over Your bed? Oh my! Gosh. And she and and she is she's not having it. Uh, which She's I'm thankful for, for, by the way. Praise God I, for your faith. Honestly, he, I am follically challenged, and he has much better hair than I do, so... Um, he, he's a threat. I'm sort of jo- <laughs> He is a threat. <laughs> he's a threat in the CrossFit household. Andrea, you so. are the
1: only thing holding Michael together. Keep it up. Yes. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so... I sent you that album. He came out with a new album this week. Here, I stumbled upon it like this. I... Uh, his story is interesting. His the, his album progression is interesting. I haven't listened to it all. I don't know all of it. Um, a few of his songs are catchy. And I like him. I've always kind of liked his music, actually. But every now and then on iTunes, whatever is new, whatever's on the top of the Billboard, you know, if it's not just explicit trash, then I'll I'll check in. I want to hear what people are singing about and what people want to hear. And uh, I saw this album. Saw Bieber put a new album on, turned it on, first song was, you know, Christian talk, Christian language. And my first thought was, wow, that's cute. He, he did a, a Christian song on his album. You know, that's interesting. And you keep listening, it's just song after song after song of, uh, of explicit warning parents. It, it is an explicit album, uh, but explicit with the gospel for one. Uh, pretty explicit terms about Christ uh, raising from the dead, about Christ being our hope. In fact, I'm going to... Let's see, I don't know if I can pull up the lyrics here. I'm not going to try. No, here it is. So this is the song Freedom, the first one on the album. And I'm not going to try to rap it or even say it like he says it. I'm just. I want a rap. I'm gonna try to translate it.
0: I will sell for nothing less than a rap. (laughs) Okay, you do the beat. I'll rap. No.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So he says, "Big up to our father. If you call upon him, he answers. All we need is the begotten Son to prosper. The dead resurrected. The devil tried to test it. He lost." He loses again, his head is bruised again, sweat, blood, tears upon the cross. Did you know he paid the cost? For real. Work over northwest, south, and east. Easter Sunday, bun and cheese. No idea what that means. Good Friday, fish and bammy. I think they know what that means, fish for breakfast. One table, one family. All of the times when I cry out to the Most High, God says, don't worry about it. My love is abundant. You're still mine. I mean, that's he's referring to Jesus dying on the cost, paying on the cross, paying the cost. Um, he's the dead are resurrected, the devil lost, and you know the the head bruises, the head being bruised again. I mean, that that's a biblical theological dream. You just brought up the the seed of the serpent, the uh, the evangelium We're we're in it, right? what do you think about all this like how do you how do you think this
0: well when you texted it to me i was like there's no way i'm listening to a justin bieber (laughs) album (laughs)
1: because i had to tell you listen to it all listen to
0: it all and you're like not just
1: one song all of it
0: (laughs) yeah even and and even the explicit i I was concerned about that because my you know my ears i don't know if they could take the cursing you might melt Uh, into a puddle on the floor you gave me permission. You commanded me. You must listen, even to the curse words. And so I, I, you know, I bore the pain and suffering of listening to that it. That was that was before I knew that on the Christian side
1: of iTunes, they offer a non-explicit version. So I'm I'm sorry that I put you in such a position. I really apologize. I can't.
0: If it wasn't for, I mean, if it wasn't for you tempting me to sin, I don't think I would. <laughs> I don't think I would sin. I would, you know. So it's not the devil made me do it. Nathan made me do it. Um, oh my goodness! Yeah. So what do you think so, about it? I mean, what was yeah, your I mean, first thought. You know, it, um, there was in there. I, I felt like the 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 album from beginning to end was not only the gospel reiterated over and over again. But it was coming from a place that is extremely relatable to every Christian I know, including myself. Yeah. Pretty Uh, raw. Yeah. I mean, so obviously, I don't know what it's like to have a million dollars at 19, you know, like or like, like five hundred million
1: dollars or whatever it is. Yeah,
0: whatever it is that he has, obviously tons of money. Yeah. I I don't know what that's like, and it, nor do I know what it's like to have a million dollars at thirty seven. But a milli. Uh yeah. A milli. And I, there's no way I'm cool enough to pull off Millie. Uh So <laughs> I'm just gonna leave that alone. But I, I don't know. <laughs> I <laughs> I don't know what it's what it's like to have that and have that immense amount of pressure put on a 19 year old kid um, yeah. And so I can only imagine what that would what that would be like to fall into or the temptation to fall into that kind of sin and and what yeah. it, what innumerable ways Satan has yeah. used that to to lure him into all kinds of darkness and things like that.
1: Um, yeah, how many people have lost their lives,
0: right? Enti- like physically and entirely with less temptation and less money, right? And so, yeah, who? I mean, good grief! That's that's an, yeah. that's incredible pressure to put on a 19 year old. But then, yeah. what I can relate to is the the way temptation, or the way Satan, the way our own flesh, the way uh, our own desires, as James would say, dra- drags us away and uh sin is conceived and brings forth death at that point you know uh, we can relate to that and and the whole album is really about that and how he's he's really hit the end and there in the end when his life was at rock bottom there he found christ and yeah i don't know what christian can't listen to that and go man i know the feeling that is i i yeah. I can relate to that completely, yeah. and so you know, y- you you have this situation where you can tell he's really raw. It's sa- he the the words he's using sound like true gospel. The the yeah, let me a, let me ask this way. if if someone showed up to your church and their
1: testimony was Justin Bieber's album written out into a testimony,
0: would you consider it a, a credible testimony of faith in Christ? Of course. I mean, somebody who's going to say, because we, we ask, you know, every person that joins our church, we, we have them not only give their own, give what the gospel is, their understanding yeah. of it, what their own personal testimony is, and then what difference that's made in their life. And that's Justin Bieber's album on that, those last two questions, their personal testimony and what the gospel has meant to them. Justin Bieber's album is really what I want to hear. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and because yeah. uh, so yeah. so you know, are there questions about like what gospel do you believe? Let, let's dig in a little deeper to to what it is that you've come to understand about Jesus and things like that. Sure, I mean those are good questions to ask, and and you know I would hope somebody's asking those to him right now, but for goodness sakes, I, I it seems as though what he's saying is. Uh, It's gospel truth. And then, you know, so immaturity aside, you can sense some of that in there, very new, very raw, Um, you know, probably walking in early discipleship, if if it's a credible profession of faith. I can't begrudge him that. I mean, do you know where I was going into seminary? Good grief. I wouldn't go back there to save my life. And so... (laughs) I really wouldn't. I mean, I look back at 18-year-old me, 22-year-old me, and I'm like, that guy was an idiot, you know? <laughs> and I mean, really. And some people think that about me now. So, <laughs> so <laughs> 60-year-old me, I can only hope would look this back at 37-year-old little me and go, yeah. 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 I mean. some hope. So, yeah. So it just, it, it's, uh, I think the the old adage that I've heard many preachers say of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not what I will be, but praise God, I'm not what I once was. Um, yeah. I, I, I think you could look at any Christian like along what? the way. Yeah. You, you can look at any Christian along the way, especially like a, a what may be a new believer in a new mm-hmm. believer. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can, because those are totally interchangeable. Those, it's totally, you know, it's the same thing. But you could, you could look at a new believer like him, maybe, and say the same thing there. Well, he's not what he yeah. he will be by God's grace, but he he obviously he seems to profess that he's not what he once was, and yeah. we can I, at I've least praise him over
1: the years. Yeah. Would I if someone came to me with the First Corinthians rap sheet? Uh, Divided over celebrity pastors, suing each other in sexual morality, getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, um, people going hungry from the Lord's Supper, um, and and much more. You know, struggling with the doctrine of the resurrection itself. Um, Bieber's farther along than the church at Corinth, Mm -hmm. right? If he's believing confidently in the resurrection... um, then he's he's farther along than what Paul had to deal with in Corinth, and, and Paul doesn't Paul calls th- them. Go ahead. he doesn't sorry. just throw them out. He he doesn't yeah, throw them exactly. out with the bathwater, so to speak. He calls them infants in Christ. Yeah, how's that for a dad joke connection? Right. Um. So there is there's a category of baby immature Christians, and I think I think Bieber even uh, speaks about that in one of his one of his songs, which I think is helpful. You know, I, I was thinking about this as we were talking, that uh, this week I messaged a buddy who's a professor uh, in North Carolina. Uh, it's a uh, guy used to be on the staff with us here, uh, one of my dearest friends, and I so said, I'm looking for a book to go along with this talk, do you have any recommendations? Uh, looking for a book on a, a specific uh, topic, Augustine's Spiral of Sin, which he had mentioned somewhere else. And he recommended me a book from uh, a guy who's at Calvin College, which I knew Calvin College was uh, base camp for, um, what did I talk to you about, the Pelagian Doctrine Mm -hmm. uh, in the the last decade or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't remember how it came up, but at one point he mentioned uh, to me, hey, this this guy's a little bit left-leaning. And I don't even know if that was politically, or I probably he meant theologically. Um, but you know, let the book stand for itself, something like that. Uh, and, and I was glad for that. Totally get it. He and I have such a great relationship. I'm thankful for that. But as we talk now, I'm like, you know, this. I don't. I don't think, and I hope it would never be the case where he felt like you know Nathan is so entrenched and isolated in the reform camp. I have to warn him about this book that I'm recommending. You know, like yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he only thinks inside his own camp. Uh, is that the is that the way that goes? And as I'm looking at Bieber, I'm going. I, I got questions about his church and Judah Smith and who he is. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't even know much of uh, what's there. I know enough to know that there's a some questions to be asked about faithfulness to sound doctrine. But as I listen to the album itself, and I let it stand on its own merit, at least for a moment, you have to go, this is this is the gospel. These are gospel terms. This is gospel language. This is a confession of Christ dying for sinners, and a confession of repentance of sin. And you can get into the conversation, well, he's doing it on an album, and he's doing it out there in front of everyone, so it's kind of showy. I, well, you know what, maybe so. I, I I don't that that's begin that's that's where the line begins of I don't know. How can I know? Um but the lyrics themselves are um are, are incredible. I I would take him as a member of my church if he were living as faithfully as his lyrics uh describe. It's an interesting it's a it's an just an interesting cultural phenomenon that that you almost can't compare. Uh at least in our time, maybe Kanye, like we were talking about. Um, it's a it's a strange thing, but as, as much as you can find partnership in the gospel, rejoice, I don't know, and yeah. then there's a lot of things you can't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so many people are concerned about, well, what happens if we say Justin Bieber seems to present a credible witness to Christ, or if we say Kanye seems to present a credible witness to Christ, and then... 2 months later or a year later or whatever they're walking out of some brothel or something you know and yeah. you, you, or or even a week the, before which is what Justin Bieber did
1: release an album that isn't explicitly Christian and is explicit in other ways right you know you, that, you know so that's that was like 10 days before this album or something like that
0: so yeah so that, you that's there you end up in this situation where if we say if we commit oh man, we think, it, we think this is a credible profession of faith. Then we look like frauds on the back end for being duped or deceived or whatever. But here, here's, yeah. I don't have to do that. I'm not affirming some guy's faith from a distance and I'm not also discrediting some guy's faith from a distance. I'm just saying that what he said on that album, that is, that's true. And as Paul, you know, if, if, the gospel is preached out of vain conceit, can I not at least affirm that, at least praise God that the gospel is being heard in some capacity, even if the people that preach it are frauds? Because at any one moment in my life, I, I will have obviously you know, committed sin or, or whatever. And anybody could look at that moment in my life and say, well, that discredits everything that he said. But I, I think that what I say in the pulpit is true and, and what I preach in the, in the pulpit is true. And I admit to my own congregation, I, I, I can't perfectly live the gospel either. And, and so what, what I'm preaching here is being preached to me throughout the week It has to be, Mm -hmm. or else I'm a fraud. And and there's a difference in the formal
1: affirmation of a local church on a Christian who says, We affirm your faith. We are now watching over you. And if your profession or your life begin to disagree with the gospel, then we will formally uh, no longer affirm you and declare that you are not a Christian anymore. This is Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. right, And... Um, we, we cannot do that with Justin or, or anyone right. you know, our neighbors that our, our church has a unique relationship with those who are in our church in our church to affirm them, watch over them, and if necessary, after going through the Matthew 18 process discipline them for their own good and for the clarity of the name of Christ and the content of the gospel. and so we can't we can't get close to that. With Justin or Kanye, or even members of other churches in our city. So it just it creates a concentric circle of affirmation. We're like, can I affirm Justin? Yeah, I can affirm the songs that he sung. I don't know this guy. I don't know what he's doing. I don't you know he was at Hillsong, and you know we've got some issues with Hillsong as a church. He's left that church now, I understand, um, after the scandal that happened. Uh, but uh, I just I don't know what in the world is going on in his life I, I don't know I, I can't say but the album is encouraging I'm encouraged by it I, and like you said how many followers does Justin Bieber have on Twitter or on music 50 million 10 million I have no idea I don't know
0: yeah I have no idea but
1: let's just assume that many people are about to listen to that album yeah it's that's, that's awesome yeah you know and even as myself, uh, you know, I've talked a few times about Rabbi Zacharias. Yeah. I mean, I have been so helped by him, mm-hmm. so helped by his books, uh, one of his books, Beyond Opinion, that he actually edited with others from risen Ministries. Uh, the uh, the uh, conversation, uh, little books that he wrote, Conversations Between Christ and Buddha, Christ and Hitler, uh, you know, using Scripture to bring up... You know, kind of make imaginary conversations, philosophical conversations between characters. So, so helpful, I thought. Mm-hmm. And then to find the news about him uh, upon his death, just makes me ask: you know, as my as my faith built on the credibility of someone else following Christ, or the credibility of Christ Himself? Yeah. Um, and not some follower. Which, hey, listen, you know, I didn't, I wasn't planning this, but both of our texts this week. Yeah, talk about false teachers.
0: Well, and you know, the the both of our texts also, which I think is is, you know, even just as applicable to what we're talking about now, both of the texts speak to endurance and as being mm-hmm. the true litmus test of the believer. And so right. when it comes to Justin Bieber, Kanye West, Michael Crosswhite, Nathan Loudon, when it comes to anybody, that ever claims the name of Christ, it's always we'll see. I mean it, it's always that, right? Like your your testimony is credible, your your what you believe about the gospel is true. Is true what you affirm is true about the gospel. That's the Bible's reading of of the go- of gospel teaching, or that's the bi- the way right. the Bible teaches the gospel. Um, you know, these certain things may be true about you, but are you a believer? Well, we think so based on all those evidences, but mm-hmm. ultimately, time will tell. And mm-hmm. a- as Jesus points out in both of our passages, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And yeah. And we believe, obviously we, you've mentioned before, we're, we're, we both run in reform circles, um, yeah. but we, we believe because of that, that the Holy Spirit will grant the endurance to make it to the end. Which means mm-hmm. continual faith in Christ. And for Justin Bieber, if his testimony is true and, and the Holy Spirit truly has uh, regenerated his heart, then not only will he endure to the end, but he won't be the same Justin Bieber at 57 yeah. that he is at you know, 27 or however old he is. And yeah. so yeah, I mean I, so I think here, it's gonna, it's going to be a progression over over time and, and, and it's going to be yeah. a progression that will endure. Through to the end. Tell me what you think about. Tell me what you think about this. Um, I'm reading
1: uh, Edwards' Religious Affections, and I was looking at that specifically to see if there was help for my passage. Um, and it's it's a dense book. I mean, good grief! I just realized I don't even know if I've ever read it all the way through. Um, but there's so many good sections. One of the things he says, you know, so Edwards is dealing with. Um, uh, what's the revival called, um, the New Hampton Revival, <clears throat> 1740s, and it's, it explodes, I mean it's crazy, the kind of ecstatic, excited revival that's happening. And Edwards is trying to sift through what's what's a real, credible affection being expressed, and what is kind of revivalism just spreading. How do, you, how do you sift through these? And this is a guy who eventually got fired from his church for requiring uh, only believers to partake in the Lord's Supper, <laughs> right? So this matters to him. That's kind of what we're talking about. He says, There are false affections and there are true. A man's having much affection does not prove that he has any true religion. But if he has no affection, it proves that he has no true religion the right way is not to reject all affections nor to approve all but to distinguish between affections approving some and rejecting others separating between the wheat and the chaff the gold and the dross the precious and the vile that's a one sentence or two sentences in a long string of thought for him that we can't there's no way we can get into but uh, that's helpful. I look at that and I go, so much as this is affection for Christ, it seems that the affection peace is present from a distance at least. And in my passage at least, that's the, that's the danger um, is not uh, yours yours as well. So if I remember right, in your passage, you've got kind of three or four warnings that this will happen and it will affect the disciples this way. My passage, uh, which is extremely connected, same language, same theme in Revelation this week, has to do with having lost your first love. Mm. And uh, Jesus says, uh, unless you repent of this and do the things you did before, I'm going to remove your lampstand, i.e., you will not be partaking in the tree of life. Which is promised to those who do repent, who do conquer, uh, in 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 my passage. So it's like it, the the sign of affection for the Lord is not everything, right? That's not the total uh, con- assurance to it. People get excited about Jesus. Uh, going back to is it Mark two or Mark four? Uh, the the seeds planted one grows up in excitement and zeal. That that alone is not the totality. Of fruitfulness of what Edwards calls true religion, but if you don't have that, if that is absent, and this was in your Easter sermon, then we we have a problem. Right, there is no Christianity at all.
0: Yeah, and I think far more than than people having a false love and coming to me and professing this great affection for christ and then and then turning away far more than that yeah. i have the conversation on the other end where salvation becomes what i did so mm. how do you know you're saved well i i was baptized when i was young uh yeah. well you know I, I went forward and i did this or i did that well you know when i was young my mom and i prayed in my room and you know the, it's the conversation about these but then when i open up and this is why I, I i my go-to passage in my office when i'm counseling people when i'm talking to people about their own salvation i turn to matthew 13:44 to 46 and mm. we look at the man who finds a treasure hidden in a field or the one in search of a pearl for great price of great price and, and i i i break that down and i'm i'm looking at this guy and i'm saying this is how jesus describes one who receives the kingdom of heaven and one who actually understands citizenship in God's kingdom. And if, if this is what salvation really is, is that you? Are you someone who has found Christ and you would sell everything you own if it meant possessing the salvation that he offers? You would be amazed at how many times those people that tell me that they prayed the prayer one time or they got in the baptistry one time or whatever come back and answer, No, that's not me. And it, it, it because they, they do, it, at that point, you realize, wait a second. What Christ is calling for in salvation is an affection change entirely. And it's entirely consistent with the rest of the New Testament and the old, for that matter, and the prophets, where he yep. says he's going to put a heart New of covenant. flesh Inside them, and when he puts a heart of flesh in there, he will be their God, and they will be his people. The, their whole disposition towards God is going to change once he gives them a new heart, gives them new birth. And so, when that's depicted there in Matthew 13, 44 to forty six as a treasure being found in a field, it's it's uh, once you see it, once you open your eyes to it, you'll see it uh, everywhere. But once you see that as the description of salvation, it becomes. Evident that there's a difference between someone who just who prays a prayer in a bedroom or goes forward and, and jumps in the water baptism baptism mm-hmm. and and whatnot, but then doesn't have that affection change. They they understand. Yeah. Wait, no, I don't have the kind of affection you're talking about, and that, that becomes a tremendous problem.
1: A little side note: My brother is a worship pastor in uh, Greeley, Colorado. He's probably been baptized about 50 times. (laughs) Because when we were a kid, we were kids, uh, my dad was a pastor. Uh, I saw baptism, and I was, you know, this is so corny, but, you know, our dad was a pastor. So you know what I played when I was a kid? I played like I was a pastor. And so in our swimming pool in the backyard, I was, say, maybe nine. My brother would have been like six. I raised my hand and held up... uh, my other hand to Travis and told him to hold his nose and I baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like 40 times <laughs> in the swimming pool back in our backyard
0: <laughs> surely one of them took
1: he's, he's, he's the safest guy I know when it comes to salvation oh my gosh so but I yeah I hear that and I'm like it um it's a it's a very Prevalent issue in our time. I guess our time. Good grief! It, you just said it's it's a it's a New Testament issue, and it has been for the church. Let me ask you this question before we go to our text. Um, can you? So I, you know, you you. Let's just say in principle, every pastor is going to have those members that you think they just don't seem on fire. Uh, they don't still seem real excited. They're here. They're showing up. They might even be serving, um, but. You know I, I feel like if I just poured gasoline on them it wouldn't explode you know mm. can you can you discipline someone from the church because the concern is brother are you are, have you been set free from sin do you do you are you excited about this you know not measuring um, Christian assurance by the um, maturity of zeal or the expression of zeal but just the presence of it. Let's say you don't see that over time. Could you remove someone from the church because you you don't think they're excited about Jesus? Can you could you even do that?
0: In, oh no, theory? oh no. <laughs> 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 I, I think <laughs> I think that would be wandering into dangerous territory. In my in my estimation, I mean, church discipline is uh, certainly to be practiced and has has obviously fallen out of. Have favor in amongst a lot of churches over the mm-hmm. past to our shame, but mm-hmm. um, where we've probably sought numbers over you know you know truth. But um, I you know you're the concern. I think is first of all we don't know a person's heart. There's no way we could judge that. Um, what we what I can say is that I think and I've seen this time and again is people that. There is no joy and that you're describing are, are loveless when it comes to that. Um, just give it time and the fruit will bear uh, you know and it, it will it will come out over time and you will you will see. Uh, the The measure of their faith over time, I think and and then there may be disciplinable things that come up out of that, you know, but yeah. I but said I said that you know. exactly to a friend
1: yesterday at lunch, so friend, if you were listening, you heard it from someone else <laughs> <laughs> so I think that 's helpful, and i i don 't think you meant to say this, but you said no one can judge the heart i don 't think you meant that narrowly in principle because Paul tells us in first Corinthians five to judge those who are in church, in the church god will judge those who are outside talking about the guy that he's asking them to remove paul's telling them to judge
0: yeah like, I he's, but he's but telling I didn't, them to discern but i didn't say no one can judge the fruit i said no one can judge the heart right and i think that is right. true i can't look at a man yeah. and say i know what's going on in his heart i can't judge that yeah. but what paul yeah. is expressing there in first corinthians 5 is a Obvious fruit that's being produced by this man who's sleeping with his father's wife. And so there's
1: a possible scenario, let's say, where we could remove someone from the church based on their fruit, which the only, my estimation, Matthew 18, the only thing for which we would remove someone from the church is unre- uh, clear, public, unrepentant, visible sin. Unrepentant should unrepentance. be underlined. Yeah, it's exactly. The unrepentance. And it's possible that you could have a Christian who perseveres in unrepentance all the way through church discipline, and he actually is a Christian, he was just in rebellion for enough time in a certain way that the church couldn't affirm him as a Christian. That's possible. Yeah, And and it's also possible you could have someone sit in your church and be buried as a saint and uh, wake up and turns out they don't know the Lord. They never did.
0: And they never found a treasure in the field. It seems that Paul's intent in First Corinthians 5 is that you know you hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that in the day of the Lord he would be saved. That the idea is yeah. that he would realize and wake up and that that last step of removing him from church membership is the thing that causes him to wake up and come back to the Lord in repentance. Yeah. And then you welcome yeah. him with open arms because he's repented and he's obviously seen the error of his ways. And then there's yeah. some that even argue that in Second Corinthians the man that's in view from Paul is yeah. that yeah. same guy. I, I have some Questions yep. about that and some reservations, but you know, yeah. let's say it was. You know, you see it enacted right there where Paul's telling him, "Look, welcome him back, forgive him." You know, it, it, it's enough for you to forgive him. That's that's a good thing. So that's the goal, anyway.
1: Yeah, and not to go too much farther down the church membership track, but in uh, we don't do it in our membership class anymore because we just don't have the the time for our. Uh, our medium, the way we do it, but there used to be a section in there that talks about church membership being something that goes back to the garden, something that was part of God's covenant with Israel, um, that if if you act in this way that is not in accordance with my name, then I will remove you from Israel on account of my name. That it's not only about you and us sending you a message and your salvation that the greater end and the greater goal is the clar- the public clarity of the gospel. Are you a Christian or are you not a Christian, truly? Um, we can't know perfectly, but we can know that that fruit of unrepentance uh, is out of step with the gospel, and we will clarify the gospel to our own church and to anyone who's, who's watching in. And that's what God does with Israel over and over. From you know, Isaiah 48, for my name's sake, right? I will defer my anger, although I will discipline you in exile as uh, silver uh, in order to remove the dross. So, for my own name's sake is why I do this. Is why I discipline you. Um, that that's chief. That's that's what God. Uh, I'm, I'm reading uh, Piper's Providence right now and it's just absurd how central this theme is through scripture. All the covenants, all the crucial moments are have the praise of God's name as their end, as the thing for which God does everything. It's, it's incredible.
0: Uh, well, so and what are what is the ch- this, you know what is the church and what are the people of God? But the bearers and protectors and praisers of God's name.
1: And yeah. This is priests, essentially what we yeah. are, yeah. In Revelation, a kingdom of priests.
0: Yeah, and yeah. so I mean, church—the very essence of church discipline, even, is we are protecting the name of Christ. In this, yeah. you know, this person, and we, we not affirm. We do that all the time in other
1: spheres. You know. Hey, sure. You can't be a part of this club because uh, you. This is going to be a bad illustration. Um, it's already headed that way. Go ahead. I know it's, it's this is a really sad illustration, but a, a country club will do that. You don't have enough money. You you don't make enough. You don't. You're not cool enough. You don't dress like us. You can't be a part of it because that's not who we are. Uh, any any high school club does that. Uh, we do this all the time, clarify who we are, what we mean, what we value, um, by having people in and out. Poli- politicians do that. We, we do mm-hmm. that all the time. Mm-hmm. And it, it shouldn't even surprise us or shock us that God is jealous for His name. Right. And He has created us in His image, and the multiplication of man all over the earth in the first commission is to fill the earth with His glory. And then he picks a particular people through whom to uh, receive glory and to spread the gospel. It shouldn't be that shocking to us. We do it all the time. So let, let's get to your passage. I want to. I think it would be helpful if we do yours first. Okay. Uh, they're, because they're in that order in the Bible, and ours relate a lot. Sure. <laughs> let's just follow the order of the Bible. That's a novel idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but our our passages. Uh, relate a lot sure. Uh, thema- thematically if not in some pretty specific language so sure. what's your text this week give us the two minute one minute overview and
0: what are you going to do with it so uh, my text is Matthew 24 1 to 14 and you know last week we saw Jesus uh, lamenting over the city of Jerusalem and its leadership saying Jerusalem Jerusalem how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. And so he says to them, see your house is left to you desolate. And he packs up and he leaves the temple. And so 24, 1 to 14 is essentially him leaving the temple and the disciples asking him about this whole house left to them desolate and what this really means. And right. they're saying, but look at this place. It's magnificent. And he, he's telling them it's going to be destroyed. Not one yeah. stone will be left upon uh, on another. All of it's going to be thrown down or, or, or leveled. And so they start asking him questions about this. And Jesus begins his uh, explanation of what it's going to look like when that day comes. And the temple is yeah. destroyed, yeah. and that's the bulk of the content of chapter twenty-four. So,
1: so what, what's what's what do you think is the aim of the passage? What's the the thing the hearers are? So we're using your Simeon Trust worksheet. What's what's the author want his hearers to do or think? What's the main thing? Because there's it when you first read it, it's like good grief! I'm got to sift through this, and that becomes an issue the rest of twenty-four. It's like okay, this is different than the rest of Matthew, is <laughs> what it feels like to me. So, um, sure. What's, well, what's the y- aim here? What's he doing?
0: You can cl- you can pretty clearly see if you let's let's block out for just a second verses fifteen you say, and following. When you
1: say you can pretty clearly see, do you mean if I don't see it that clearly, that what? What's that mean?
0: I'm just going to allow the implications to flow, and anybody who's listening to this. <laughs> <can just laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no. I was really hoping for a different answer, but <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, so uh, I think, you know, um, what's really helpful is to just let, let's block out verses 15 and following for just a moment. Because obviously yeah. that matters, context matters, and 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 all of yeah. the things that follow in twenty four matter. And twenty four, to be honest, the chapter ha- itself has been used in uh, numerous ways, that yeah. um, some of which yeah. good, some of which not good. And so I, I you know, the, let's the rapture
1: just rapture in twenty four. Is that one of the places that comes
0: from? That's where a lot of people. Uh, that's one of the places where a lot of people bring. But but okay. let's just ignore that for just a second, and let's just look at verses, even just even. Just just Jesus' response in verses 4 to 14. So nothing else, just 4 to 14. And you can see he mentions being led astray uh, three times within within those verses. So um, in verse 4, he says, see that no one lead you astray. Then he tells them, you, there will there will be many who say that he, they are the Christ and they'll lead many astray. Um, and then he says again, uh, false prophets are going to come and they're going to lead many astray. And he's his warning at the very beginning of verse three is see that no one leads you astray. And then later after our passage, and so now we're unblocking 15, he tells them in verse 24, okay, just so we're clear, they will lead. They will perform many signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. In verse twenty-four, and so then he gets to his. He gets to a, reiterates the same point that he's already made in verse four again in twenty-five, where he says, "Okay, I've told you this beforehand." So if you see somebody coming that says, look in the wilderness for the Christ, don't go out. I implied there to the Christ because I think this is what he's talking about. Don't, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. Uh, so he's telling them, don't fall for the tricks. Okay? I don't want you to be led astray. So I'm telling you now what's about to happen so that you won't be led astray. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think there are, there are some, and I, I don't, to be honest with you, I went to a dispensational seminary, and I know that chapter 24 is often a very dispensationally interpreted, especially in the pews. Dallas, Dallas Theological Seminary. Right, right, Dallas theological Seminary. Um You know, it, it's it's often um, you know I think interpreted in that way. I don't spend a ton of time studying dispensational thought on everything, and so I'm not entirely sure how a dispensationalist would would read all of chapter 24, and I don't really know how they would read. Uh, 3 through 14 specifically. Uh, And I think, if I'm not mistaken, there are some dispensationalists who would even agree with me that 24 in part, at least, is the destruction of the temple. But if you can't see how chapter 24, at least verses 1 to 14, and I think it's going to go all the way to 35, is really concerned with the destruction of the temple coming in 70 AD, look for just a second at that. He's warning the disciples that they would not be led astray. And then he tells them, I've told you this up front about what's going to happen in this time so that you will not be led astray. And then, if there's any confusion about that, he comes back later on and he says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. That's in verse 34. So, He's reiterating mm. to them over and over, I don't want you to be taken advantage of. I want you to know these things beforehand so that you're prepared and so that you understand what's about to take place in the destruction of the temple so that you're mm. ready for it and you don't fall for those tricks of false salvations that may come. And so... Um, you know, I, I think that's the important thing uh, for them to to understand, and that's why I think the aim of this um, this passage is really talking about that. And so, what what comes out of that then is the is the the reiteration from Jesus in verse thirteen: the one who endures to the end will be saved. Hmm. And I think that becomes. The central concern. Familiar.
1: Yeah. Very familiar to me. Yeah. Two thoughts. One, a bit of a side note. Do do do. Um, Kingdom Come by Sam Storms. If you're tracking with all this and going, what is dispensationalism? What's the deal? Or I am a dispensationalist. What do I think about this? Or whatever. Sam Storms, Kingdom Come. Have you read it? I, actually,
0: yes. and uh, it's it's <laughs> actually because the answer is usually no to reading books or no, reading? no, <laughs> yeah,. That, yeah. No, well, one thing I was going to say is that uh, not only have I read it, but I find his treatment of the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24 and 25, to be incredibly Uh helpful here. And it's chapter 7 and 8 of that book, and one that not only have I consulted, but it is is very, very helpful. And I think one thing that's really... You know, even more helpful in in all of this is uh, how he relates chapter twenty three and the end of chapter twenty three to verse twenty four, which I think is incredibly important and something that I didn't even read from him until this week and Mm. accidentally uh, preached it in the sermon that I preached on Sunday, which and Mm. I think I even mentioned on the podcast. And then when I read it in in uh, Kingdom Come, I was like. He he recognized the same thing I did, which is mm. the, Jesus telling them your house is left to you desolate, and how eerily similar that is to Ezekiel ten. I think I mentioned it last week,
1: but yeah, I didn't get all the way through. But beginning with Ezekiel uh, for your passage last week was a great tie-in and really helpful.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean to it,
1: show it, that this temp, this little temple scene isn't just kind of a little uh, piece of the narrative; it's really big.
0: Yeah, it's um, it, it it's it's I think incredibly important. Not only does Ezek does the glory of the Lord leave the temple, but in Ezekiel, I mean, but then in the next chapter in Ezekiel eleven, verse twenty three, the glory of the Lord settles on the mountain east of the temple, which is the mountain called Olivet which is where Jesus settles here. So the glory of the Lord yet again leaves the temple and sets up east of the temple on the Mount of Olives, where then he talks about the destruction of the temple and how the house is going to be left to them desolate, which is a repeat of what happened in Babylon or not in Babylon in Jerusalem as a result of Babylon comes in and, yeah. and burns the temple to the ground and so this yeah. is a repeat of several things that have happened in Israel's history that are ir- yeah. eerily similar to this and so, which will bring so, us into the abomination desolation and so on and so forth next week But
1: so am I understanding correctly you think Matthew 24 is is kind of saying uh, the temple's about to be destroyed but that's not the end of it or the worst of it. Nations are going to rise against nations. Kingdoms are going to fall and go at war. You're going to be put to death. Um, you are going to be betrayed by each other. Lawlessness is going to increase. You need to be prepared for all. The the temple's going to fall, but you need to be prepared for these things. And, I, I, not, and be prepared not to be led astray. Is that what you're I, saying?
0: No, I I think, well, I think it's backwards from that. I think he's saying, you're going to be tempted to think that the death, the persecution, the uh, earthquakes, the wars and rumors of wars are going to bring about the fall of the temple. No, no, no. These are the beginning of the birth pains. That's not it. The end is not yet. Then you'll be delivered over. Then you'll be put under tribulation. Then they'll put you to death. It's going to progress. Yeah. Many are going to fall away. There's going to be lots of people that are promise, going to promise to save you. That's not Salvation will not be in them. Yeah. Lawlessness will be increased. Love of many will grow cold. Uh, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout. And this is the key here is this little phrase, whole world, um, that mm-hmm. he uses here, mm-hmm. which is kind of, I think, Probably maybe not the best translation, but it but it it uh, seems to indicate well the gospel is going to be proclaimed in the whole world. So there you go, you know, uh, America mm-hmm. and all them, and so this can't be then mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Um, but I think what he's what he's getting at there is or in this in this whole passage is so you're going to see all these things and you're going to think that that's the end, but the end is not yet. The end is mm-hmm. when we get next week in verse fifteen when you see the abomination of desolation, that's when you know. That's when the end is coming. Mm-hmm. So all of these things he's warning them about are so that they don't fall away, so that they maintain their faith and just know that ignore all of those things and endure to the end. That's the goal. Endure to so the you're end. You're seeing Yeah.
1: You you're seeing a time where the things that are described in verse three through fourteen are for the church. Uh, the 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 age of the church uh from the resurrection until the end
0: no from the from the resurrection until the destruction of the temple i think verses one to thirty five have already happened all of the stuff that jesus is talking about there has already happened and it happened in 70 a d it's right. applicable for today because because that is a, a pattern of things that will continue to happen, as is evident in the book of Revelation. And I think is John's point in the book of Revelation. It happened before, but it's going to continue to happen, these kinds of things. Um, gotcha. But But I think Jesus is focused on the disciples and the generation in which they live— all of this is going to happen in this generation. This generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. It's not until verse 36 that we start talking about, well, really, the end of 35 and and then 36 where we start dealing with all of the age that we're in now and right. what, what's going to happen to us and, then, and what's coming in the future. And he even mentions, um, you know, Some of those things that um, that you know, the age of the Gentiles gathering the elect from the four corners in verse thirty one, and things that that, things of that nature, it alludes to. I think the age of the Gentiles that we're currently in now, uh, the age of the Church. But Mm -hmm. most of what he is talking about is all happening up until the destruction of the temple in seventy A.D.
1: Mm -hmm. So that's helpful. So. Let's spin back an even bigger picture for a moment. How do how do you see that fitting in the whole purpose of Matthew that you've been
0: exploring
1: and repeating
0: well all along the way? The 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 book's flow has Matthew introducing a king and describing his nature. He's a new Moses, he's the new and better Israel, he is the new David. And then Jesus comes onto the scene in four to seven chapters four to seven and introduces the kingdom that he's bringing with him and you see in 8 to ten that that kingdom actually applies to you it has a real world impact on you and you see in 11 to 13 where people are now reacting to to this Messiah. He's a different Messiah than we thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. What is the reaction to him? And you see three reactions primarily in the in that uh, in those three chapters. You see John the Baptist, his reaction is like I maybe, I don't know, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. You see the Pharisees are dead set no, and you see the poor and disenfranchised saying absolutely yes, this is the Messiah. And then from 14 on to about 19 you see him clarifying what discipleship citizenship in his kingdom actually looks like for an individual and how that's going to play out and then yep. all of this what you know you get the sense throughout from the whole from the beginning of of the book is that there is a battle brewing between the this king and the kingdom that he's bringing and the kingdom mm-hmm. that's already there which is the kingdom represented by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, and the temple – primarily and the reason that you know that is because you see jesus saying something greater than the temple is here you see the pharisees sending a a a party from jerusalem to come search him out in 15 and and talk to him you see uh, all of these different uh interactions that jesus has with the current structure of religious elites that we wash our hands and he's like Mm -hmm. you're crazy um and that they don't receive him And, and you know i mean like all all these kinds of things that that he uh, that he's there's a battle brewing, in other words. and yeah. then when you get to 19, the battle starts to be clear that Jesus is now systematically going through one by one each level of their religious aristocracy and picking it apart top to bottom, including even their desire to push away the children. And he says, "No, no, no, no. That's not how my kingdom operates. Let the children come to me." And you know, well, we got to be the most important in eighteen. No, no. Unless you become like a child, you're not getting in. Uh, like mm-hmm. so, he's 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 going through all of their preconceived notions of what the kingdom of heaven is really like, and picking it apart one by one. He's been doing that since the beginning. And so, what we have here in nineteen, you might say, on to the really the end of the book, is yeah this battle this war that's now climaxed into Jesus saying that whole temple is going to be destroyed it's all got to come down all the religious system that the jews purport has to come down all of it's got to be destroyed and so he's now ready to tell the disciples okay it's going to be destroyed and here's how it's going to be destroyed i'm telling you now but their mistake and, and I think this is implied in the text in the transition between 35 and 36. And I know we're not there yet. We'll get there. But it, we are a little bit there because they ask the question in, um, in verse 3. They say, tell us when will these things be, the destruction of the temple, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the, a- in the end of the end of the age? Um, th- their mistake, I think, is in assuming that Jesus's Jesus's parousia or his appearance, his second coming, mm-hmm. is the same is one and the same with the destruction of the temple mm-hmm. and. And, and, like, I, I used this illustration a couple weeks ago, I think, on here, and I've used this several times in our church, is, you know, a prophet in the Old Testament is looking down the road and seeing the Messiah coming, seeing two guys. One is coming, taking away the sins of the world, and the other one is coming to establish his kingdom. And those two guys are walking down the the road and they look like they're walking side by side, but the closer they get, you see there's, there's actually some distance in between them. And I think yeah. the mistake of the disciples is they're looking down the road and they're seeing these two events – Him taking away the sins of the world and the destruction of the Judaic aeon or the Judaic age, and then the second coming of Christ, and they're assuming that those are one and the same event, and Jesus is separating them here. And he's saying, here, I want to tell you all the details so that you know what to look for. But it's it's very suspicious that in verse 36, he tells them, well, no one knows what day that's going to be what day or hour that's going to be. And he switches from those days to that day in verse 36, meaning there's a specific right. day where he's returning and he's he's warning them about that day when I come back, the parousia, the second coming. You don't know that. I don't know that. We won't know that until, the, until God the Father sends me back with the angels to come gather yeah. everyone into judgment.
1: So... Quick question. I mean, first of all, I think it's super helpful. I'm I'm tracking with you. First question, is this going to be your first two-hour sermon ever at <laughs> Emmanuel? Yeah, You could do it. I think you could do it. I'm cheering for you. I think you can cross <laughs> that threshold
0: this um, week. You yeah. can do it. So, yeah, I'm going to shut the whole church down, and I'm going to say, look, I'm just going to record it, and yeah. if you don't want to sit through a two-hour <laughs> sermon, just speed it up two <laughs> times on podcast.
1: We're, we're going <laughs> to... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It, it's, it's so thick. It's so thick. The whole chapter is so thick with Old Testament reference. The context is so important. There's a lot of, a lot of interpretive choices you have to make, and it seems like if you take any one of them a certain direction... You kind of have to take all of them together, um, so. Well, so uh, here's that, the deal, a big right? Challenge there.
0: Yeah, and he, here's yeah. the what I really feel about preaching, and and I, and I do some. I I will be the first to admit I preach longer than I should. I think uh, I don't think I'm good enough to preach as long as I do, but one of the reasons that I preach as long as I do is because I'm not good enough. <laughs> And I think that fair I, th- I think that short sermons it takes,
1: it takes a lot longer time to say what you. are Not sure how to say exactly,
0: term. and I, and yeah. I think clarity uh, is 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 often simultaneous with brevity. And uh, one reason why I struggle with brevity is because I also struggle with clarity, and and so hmm. you know I I, I think. Um, you know my my sermon last week was one of the shortest sermons that i've preached in some time and i think and i was dealing with some complex stuff and i think one of the reasons why why you can preach shorter and better is when you work really hard to get to the clear simple point of the text and so for me you know I I think the point is is abundantly clear with all the being led astray concerns and the false preaching and teaching concerns. The, the point that Jesus is making is the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so that's also, what I'm preaching, right? I like also th-
1: preached a much shorter sermon last week. I asked my wife, how do you think it went? And she said, it was a healthy length, which was the <laughs> nicest way possible. I think she could have said, quit preaching so long. Yeah. <laughs> So um, maybe I'm reading into it. So no, that's you're helpful. not. That's so exactly you, what she means. You just,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, that was a helpful, uh, w- you know, one-sentence aim, which is what the worksheet's trying to get us to. So, um, because you have to – you just said 24 up to verse 36 is for those disciples before the temple. Yeah. So, what's it – how is it for us? If those – If the lawlessness increasing, the false prophets rising, um, if those things are for the disciples who are about to see the temple destroyed, how do you make the jump to apply that to us today?
0: Because Jesus doesn't stop being concerned about false teachers in the church with the destruction of the Mm -hmm. temple in 70 AD. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Jesus' concern is expressed to the disciples for a particular situation that he's concerned about and wants to prepare them for. Yeah. But I'm going to Revelation this week where he is equally concerned with the church after yeah. the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And he's so concerned is it with it. Fair it fair to the, say
1: then the things he's talking about in your section 3 through 14 This is what you need to know, disciples, you, in the context of the temple about to be destroyed. But Jesus doesn't ever say, well, after that, everything will be fine. Once the temple is destroyed, then this age is over. Because I'm I'm assuming that the um, tribulation being put to death, the false prophets, the lawlessness increasing, that that doesn't stop when the temple is destroyed. That's that's what they needed to know in the context of that time, but we we can only assume those things are continuing, right through time. And in, they're,
0: reiterated. they're reiterated. they're right. reiterated to us uh, right. in Revelation in and in the letters of Paul. They're reiterated to us several times that these yeah. are still tremendous concerns for us. So yeah. my my you know to be fair, I have to I know. At the beginning, normally I start kind of with an image. Last week it was the glory of the Lord leading the temple in Ezekiel and that kind of thing. But you know, this week I know in, I'm, I'm dispensing with that, and instead I am uh, preparing the congregation for a trip yeah. through Matthew 24 that might be different than what they've heard. And and really preparing the congregation to, to hear that because I, and I think that's important because I have to realize too that um, you know a lot of people grew up under dispensational theology, which has utilized Matthew 24 and the Olivet discourse as a way of preaching a rapture that I don't think is there. but my my aim with them is to say, listen, I'm going to, go through verse by verse through this and I'm going to take Jesus at his words here in the text and we're going to turn them over every which way and you judge for yourself. I think at the end you may not agree with me in the position that I take on this passage but I don't think you could accuse me of abusing the word. I think you would have to say, he has some points to make. And 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 I'm fine with that. And I think we all just need to, you know, cause cause it's so often it's used as a club to beat people over the head and as a litmus test for liberal theology, like, oh, you don't believe in Jesus because you took this position on Matthew twenty-four. You don't believe in a rapture. Well, I mean, nobody believed in a rapture until 1830. So I mean, if you want to really define new and liberal I, I mean it would probably be more rapture kind of idea
1: I think that's the dispensational culture as i as I knew it, and my familiarity was those who believe the Bible believe these things, and if you don't believe these things, you clearly haven't read your Bible. That's the only I way to understand it that's how I was uh i' don't know how to say taught but as as much as I knew about dispensationalism and the rapture that and that was. Not always, not yeah. always, but often kind of the message, U- usually in the personalities and dispensationalism, not those who I'm closest to, usually.
0: Well, and, um, and you know, I, I think th- there's some, th- there are some points that they have. That a dispensationalist has as he reads this that would, you know, and, and it one happens in my passage this week, which is the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And I've heard a number of times pastors get up and say, well, we got to reach to the end of the world because once that last country we reach, we expect Jesus to return at that point because they, they come back to the Olivet discourse. I've heard even Piper say things like that. And and yeah. and mainly because mainly using this Olivet discourse and dispensational theology, though Piper's not a dispensationalist. But that influence is still there in theology. And I think uh, you know, one, you have to understand he doesn't use the word cosmos there for world. He uses the the whole uh, known world, so it could apply mm-hmm. to a section of the world. It, it outside of the New Testament in Greek literature, it is it is used to refer to the Roman Empire. Um, it, that the world that's being used there, and so, I, you know, I, I suspect what what is being said here by Jesus preached throughout the whole world is the same thing we see at the end of Acts, where uh, Paul reaches Rome under mm-hmm. house arrest and or you know, whatever and is the gospel has reached the ends of the earth um, and we take that as a fulfillment of Jesus' outline at the beginning of the book that it has reached yeah. the ends of the earth because he's reached kind of the capital city of the Roman Empire it has reached that far the gospel has and so, um, so yeah, yeah. That's
1: good. would you say that his statement the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world Um, is not the first point there. doesn't have to do with... uh, It will be preached to the whole world in relation to, and then the end will come, but it will be preached to the whole world in relation to, the temple's going to be destroyed, but that's not the end. That that's the time marker he's most concerned about. The temple will be destroyed, don't worry about that. The gospel is going to be proclaimed to the end. And then the end will come. And, And that kind of... He's thinking that direction first, and he's explaining the end will be. The end is after that. This is not the end. So he's helping explain the temple is not the end, uh, but that the end is after this. How specific is every taethne going to hear the gospel? Wasn't wasn't maybe as particular? Is that what you're getting at? Is that fair?
0: Yeah. It, it well, I think you know, ponta taethne is. All the nations that are represented in the whole world that he describes there, which, as I right. said, is is Matthew can be can, can be regional, you know, and that kind of thing. But I think what he's describing I, I think Piper
1: because talks about in all nations, let the nations be glad. It can be as minimal as like tribal tongue and. Family units, almost. Right,
0: right, right. Yeah. And, uh, and so then he says, you know, and then the end will come, which I think in verse 15 is talking about the destruction of the temple. And that he's saying everything up to then, that, in other words, back up for just a second, the ages of the church and the, and the Jewish age are overlapping. So... Mm-hmm the church is going to begin and it's going to take off the gospel that you believe of your salvation or that you will come to believe of your salvation is going to be preached to the whole world or to the whole area to the whole known world and and all nations are going to hear it the gospel is going to advance and then the temple will be destroyed
1: and so the um
0: yeah okay i'm tracking so there, there's an overlapping forty years where and and let's go back historically and let's let's re- acknowledge that for the first many years, uh, Jude, Christians utilized the synagogues and uh, the temple and places like that as uh, really a shelter from the Roman government to some degree, where mm. they enjoyed some religious uh, freedom. Under the umbrella of Judaism. Uh, and Judaism sought very early on to separate themselves from Christianity and say that is a sect. And eventually did gain that kind of acknowledgement from Rome that Christianity is separate, kicked them out of the synagogues, as Jesus foretells is going to happen kicked them out of the synagogues and things like that until they were kind of on the run and were then the brunt of persecution you know from nero and and many others you know along the way. right
1: i think i'm i think you helped me kind of discover an illustration or the image to begin my sermon for sunday mm. um I'm gonna I'm gonna steal away to my text now. Um, the so I'm in chapter two, and the the dovetail between my passage and your passage is the in the middle. There's a chiastic structure in uh, all the letters, I believe, especially Ephesus, um, where uh, the one who has died and now lives is promising the tree of life at the end. And in the middle is the loss of love. You have lost Mm. your first love, and Mm. people disagree about what what love toward who exactly is there. Mm. I have some ideas, Um, but that the uh, we talked we went pretty extensively in weeks prior to show that when when John sees Jesus among the lampstands, and that this is explicit priesthood temple imagery, and Jesus being along, among the lampstands is as a priest who was instructed to tend the lampstands in the temple and keep that oil burning 24 hours a day as a statute forever. Yeah, And that's what a priest did, was tend. one of the things the priest did was tend the lampstands. So Jesus is in this priest role among the lampstands tending worship. Tending the burning of the oil, tending the the burning of worship, uh, and the provision for light. One of the things mentioned in Exodus 25 or 27, whichever passage. I think 25. Uh, they're they're both referencing the lampstands uh, and the instructions for the temple. Um, but if the it just it just it just elevates what Jesus is doing. In the midst of persecution, we've been talking a lot about persecution, how this letter is in the midst of persecution. But the the turn here that I think I'll take this week is the absence of the temple and the temple language used for God's people, which we did looking at the lampstands in chapter 1, verse 12 through 16 or through 20. Um, But begin this week by saying, The temple is destroyed. Where is God's temple now? Hmm. And we, we saw that it was in the garden. The lampstands are decorated and designed like olive trees and almond trees. And they are, uh, Hebrews tells us, copies and shadows of the real temple in heaven. But now on earth, where is God's temple? It's the people. Hmm. right? Paul says in Ephesians, you are being built into a temple by the Holy Spirit for God to dwell in. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is tending the lampstands, uh, in a sense. It's building up the temple, building up the body of Christ. So the image is that temple is destroyed. Imagine going every day to that temple and then seeing it destroyed. Now where's the temple? Now where does God dwell? Now where is God worshipped? You're the temple. Hmm. You're the lampstand. You're, you're hmm. it. We're it. The people yeah. are it. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to go so far as to... Give my interpretation of ezekiel and say we're not waiting for a third temple but the implications for those who have ears to ear so to speak will catch on that there's Mm -hmm. no third temple there's Mm -hmm. uh, we we're it this is it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then one day we will just be with god uh the end of revelation uh what the temple was always picturing will just be totally true with no hindrance we will be with god forever Uh, so let me ask you this then
0: yeah, you, you've got so that you alluded to it earlier. There is this uh you have lost your first love, which we can only assume the church at Ephesus knew exactly what he was talking about, though we uh-huh. struggle to kind of grasp exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. But what do he what do you think? What is he referring to there?
1: It's interesting. John is the beloved disciple. He rested his head on Christ's chest. Um first John uh, is the passage where you know we, we hear all about love if you don't love God sorry if you don't love your brother you don't love God uh, that John first John being a book discerning those who are truly in Christ and those who are not and when John says you don't love your brother you don't love God then I think one of the things he does back there is help us see you can't dissect them if you've lost your love for your brother, why? You've lost your love for God. If you don't love your brother, why? You don't love God. And and likewise, how many times did, did Jesus teach? How many times do we see the epistles? Um, if you if you want to love God, you have to love your neighbor. You have to love others. So it doesn't even, in one sense, it doesn't even matter. If you want to say, oh, they lost their love for the brothers. Okay, well, what's that mean? It means they lost their love for God. Oh, no, no, no. He's talking about, you've lost your love for God. Well how's that going to be worked out in the church? You're going to lose your love for brothers. They're 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 inextricable in their practice and the, the beliefs in the New Testament. So it doesn't I don't even it doesn't even matter. And I think the uh, I think Greg Beale was one who who you know kind of spoke the same way. Like it doesn't matter which one you pick up. You're going to get the other one. And the text isn't explicit. The text doesn't demand one or the other. Uh, you've lost your love for your brothers or you've lost uh, Beal actually goes farther than I would go to say it's love for the lost. It's love for the mission and when he when Beale references Matthew 24, he shows that in Matthew 24 the connection for love lost, what follows that immediately is the passing or the yeah the, the spread of the gospel to all nations. And so he says, you know the love lost could be the lost love for evangelism. I don't hmm. see that. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but in so much as love for God is lost, um, love for a lot of things gets lost. Um, you, you can't, that's what First John is saying. You can't mm-hmm. say, I love my, uh, I, you know, I love God, but I don't love my brother. You can't say that. That's mm-hmm. not what God's love means um, or how it gets worked out. So that that's how I tend to handle, I, I plan to handle that, is this is all the affections that have to do with God um, mm. but first and foremost its love for God himself and and we can see that it's not just you know uh, revelation the, the, the repentance that Jesus calls them to is to do the works that they formerly did but he also shows above in the in the first couple of verses he praises them for a lot of the good works that they did do uh, I know your works is the first thing which just a side note, the, one of those haunting, in a holy way, things about every one of these letters is the man who had the eyes of fire, the, the priest who has eyes of fire, looks at every lampstand, and the first words to them, every letter, is, I know. I know your works. I know whether you are doing mm. well or doing not. Mm. It's terrifying. Hmm. You have the eyes of Christ uh, that are like a fire fixed on you. Uh, there's no hiding from this. So Jesus says, I, "I know your works, your toil, your your suffering and tribulation, your your faithful endurance, your rejection of the false prophets." But but I got this against you. You've you've lost your first love. So I I think that if Jesus were going to say he he does in other letters he tells them explicitly if their works are sin like sexual morality or uh, eating food sacrificed to idols so the fact that he doesn't do that here he just says you've lost your first love it seems to be the first commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart your mind soul and strength but that's what he has in mind here um, that the uh, obedience is there in some ways but the affection uh, that that lamp is about to go out and you need to watch that when you're, if, if Jesus is a priest he's walked into Ephesus and he goes this this lamp it's about to go out this candle's about to go out and the problem is not that you haven't it's not false doctrines, not these things the thing that's about to make this lamp go out the thing for which I'm about to remove this lamp stand if you don't repent is that you've lost your love you've lost your affection uh, what, for God
0: to, to me I'm, I'm listening to you say all those things and, I, and I'm like wow that's, you know, that's hard hitting and, and you know, causes should cause everybody to kind of look in the mirror, I think. But if you back up just before that, and I, I'm my question to you is really, am I reading this right? It seems like Ephesus is one who has doctrine in place, like they he mm-hmm. says yeah. they have they have found false Apostles, They've tested them, and they know, oh, no, you're false. You don't believe the actual, you don't believe or teach, which I think is how Paul kind of puts it in, what is it, Corinthians, where he's like, if you see anybody coming to preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, they're false, you mm-hmm. know. And so mm-hmm. he says, you know, you've tested these apostles and found them to be imposters. And mm-hmm. so it seems as though this is a, a a church that has its orthodoxy grounded in the gospel mm-hmm. and yet their lampstands about to go out is that right yeah
1: i think so um you're i don't know if you were thinking of this but galatians as well unless there's another yeah. the gospel that has been preached to you even by angels uh, that is different from the one we preach to you let him be anathema if we are an angel preach to you a different gospel let him be anathema yeah um yeah, I think that's I think that's what's going on is uh you have I think even the works and the toil and your patient endurance is really is the same thing as their having tested those who call themselves apostles and are mm-hmm. not and are false. That mm-hmm. that's that's in, in particular that's their work that they've done. Um, and so <clears throat> yeah, it's a you know, we were talking about the Reformed camp earlier. This is a huge uh, issue, I think, uh, for, for some. You know, the, um, the sad but correct Christian, uh, the cold but correct Christian, uh, that's a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's not worship. That's not the totality. Of Of what it means to be a Christian, and in fact it's it's a reason that you might miss the tree of life. Mm. Jesus says, unless you repent of this, not only is he going to remove your lampstand, but the idea at the end is if you conquer, if you do repent and if you do if your love does grow and warm, uh, you'll be granted to eat the tree of life um, so yeah I, I I think that's I think that's spot on and the question becomes, you know, the intro to my sermon becomes, "You're the temple," but then, well, is this a temple that should be destroyed too? Is this a temple whose lampstand should be should be snuffed out too? Because God's done that before.
0: Um, you know, the whole oh, to
1: purify His worship again.
0: I've, there's so many, uh, like just things that I'm thinking right now as I'm as we're walking through that. First of all, the terrifying thought that. Your doctrine, your orthodoxy, may be square, and mm-hmm. you absolutely miss heaven altogether. Um, yeah, that's one thing, and that's terrifying. And we should—it's something that every single Christian should consider—is yeah. that what Christ desires is that orthodoxy to work its way out in orthopraxy, and if it's not yep. working its way out in practical everyday life. Um, and whatever that you know love of God obviously love of, of man but all of that is lumped in together with orthopraxy of just the way you yep. practically live out your faith that 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 is the essence of the of the true doctrine that you don't just memorize points on a Sheet of paper, anybody can recite the gospel that way, and and I mean, mm-hmm. as we talked about, we opened with you know talking about Justin Bieber and all those kinds of things too. You know, y- you could recite the gospel and still not be a Christian. You know, it is the way the fruit that that ends up bearing in your life, and and that's terrifying in and of itself. You know, just to consider it leads us always in a perpetual state of consideration. Of our own life, yeah. you know, and, and, of, and of analyzing. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that's really interesting in this um, in this run of letters is, and, and maybe I don't spend enough time really thinking about this. Each church has its own identity. Like he he addresses the church at Ephesus as if it's a thing separate from the church at Smyrna. Yeah. Has its own concerns, its own uh, identity, its own uh, group. Think its own politics, its own struggles, and and its own you know victories, things that it's good at. And yeah. I, I I don't you know I always, I consider a lot of of like EBC being a part of the broader church community, the global Christian uh-huh. church, but I don't spend enough time thinking about I think the identity of EBC itself. Yeah, you and know?
1: I don't know that, I don't know that you should. I would say. I would say that this this can be a challenging passage, passages in chapters two and three on the letters. The letters themselves have a a chiastic structure with one church in the middle. Each letter has somewhat of a chiastic structure. They begin and they end in the same way, and they have a crisis in the middle with compliments on on both sides of that. It's not always perfect, but that's a general for every letter. and is this a letter? Are these letters to actual churches that have these unique problems? Yes. Are all of these warnings to all the churches? Yes. Could your church particularly struggle with one of the church's same struggles? Yes. You know, I think the fact that there are seven, when there were an, an, who knows how many number of churches, and several of them considerable ones, um, that weren't mentioned here in this seven. I think are some of the first clues that this seven is representative. There are specifically seven stars that represent the seven angels to the church in Jesus' hand. There are seven lampstands that correlate with the seven lampstands of the temple. So that there are seven, I think, is chiefly symbolic. Not that there are, that John's just going, or, or Jesus only commissioned John, oh, these are the seven that I care about. These are the seven that have problems. Everyone else is fine um that it is symbolic and i do think that churches can the, 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 every church needs to ask the question not only am i individually but are we a church that does this are we mm-hmm. a church that excels in doctrine and our love is weak as a church um are we are we, a, are we a, 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 a church um that has been given over to jezebel right so mm-hmm. think about ourselves that way as a whole as we do individually um, but I don't. I wouldn't say that this is this is kind of urging us to find ourselves in one of the churches and define ourselves as that uh, simply to say simply because all of these challenges are pretty universal to the church historically, uh, and we're going to face them one way or the other. Now you you know Laodicea it's Laodicea right that has all the money that's uh, yeah. that's wealthy, um, and that may. Preach differently in Austin uh, than it would in some, you know, rural coal city, where the average income for every member is considerably lower, and lifestyle is lower, and money is different. Is that to say that anyone in both contexts wouldn't struggle with uh, righteousness and their uh, their uh, how they hold their finances? Of course not. But might this church, who's living it up and got Apple and the soccer team coming, and our salaries are considerable higher uh, than other places in Texas, um, might that apply to us a little bit more acutely? I think so. Well, but Um, I certainly wouldn't say it's absolute. Like you got to figure out which church you are.
0: Sure, right. Yeah, absolutely. But but it is uh, it, it for me it brings the chill closer to my spine to know that I am not just one in 1 billion people that the Lord is watching, mm-hmm. but that right. he is watching you EBC or you Millwood too. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not just he's not his eye is not just on the church globally. You know, and you might get lost in the mix of a billion people. His eye is on your individual church and how it represents the name of Christ. It's not just, you know, it's not just all the Baptists in Tuscaloosa or all the all the gospel preaching churches in Tuscaloosa, even. You know, like we're kind of one in the mix, you know, and we you know, we're all in this together kind of thing. No, no, no. You EBC that sit there on that corner, you have a reputation. You have an identity. You have people that are in your body yeah. that have yeah. certain things, and I am watching you as well as the church next door. But I'm watching you, yeah. and that is is for me is just I don't know why. Maybe I, it's hard to articulate, but it, but is particularly yeah. chilling that like you know if I'm preaching this, I'm I'm going hey uh, EBC, you know this could easily just as easily have our name right there instead of Ephesus. Right. You know, the, and that's... Yeah, and the you know, challenge you gotta,
1: might be that if you say that every week, do kind of none of them stick if you're not careful. You know, like, this could be us, this could be us, and we're all kind of wondering, well, which one are we? You know, if you, if you, yeah. if you, go, if you go down that route... R-
0: my, my point is not necessarily language. to say every week, like, hey, this could be you, this is how we could do this, this is how we are doing this, whatever, but it's to say you need to understand that he had that there's seven churches here uh this is clearly designed to apply to every church every church can benefit from this but the the idea is that he is Mm -hmm. calling out a specific group of people out of the mix of however many churches there are at the time he's calling out Mm -hmm. a specific group of people and he's saying i know this about you you do this yeah. well, but you don't do these yeah. things, and I, that you need to. For that, you need to repent, or I'm going to close so, you down.
1: Tell me what think about this. My thought right now is that let's let's, take, let's say I've got I'm going to preach a 40 minute sermon. I'm thinking I'm going to take 20 minutes at the most to explain uh, the passage, uh, apply it, and its consequences. Uh, what you know, what it means to remove the lampstand, uh, what it means to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God, and then spend the other half of the sermon just not not only instructing but almost in a sense doing loving God. That you know this is love. This is what it means to love the Lord, mm. so that they can have this is what it means to repent like that and love the Lord again, so that they mm. can see it clearly. And, and even even be excited to do it by tasting it, hmm. right? They, that they yeah. begin to love the Lord even as they hear about loving the Lord. Uh, so that the sermon isn't only a practical and technical home run, but that it it most of the time, it, it is preached in a way to bring about the affections that Jesus is commanding.
0: Hmm. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean... It, to me, and this is again, you know, what I was saying on my on my passage is, I think once you get down to the essence of the passage, you realize very quickly the nuts and bolts of the passage are very important in that they support that main uh, central idea. That's being communicated, but it seems like, as you've kind of enumerated already, that the central idea is this this idea of abandoning the love and and gaining back the mm-hmm. love. And so, when you begin preaching that, which you know, like you say, for me, the beginning of that sermon is is really designed to help them understand what it means to love God and what it means to love the people around us and what it means mm-hmm. to to for the love of god to actually flow out of us and mm-hmm. into other people and once mm-hmm. they start grasping those things then you go here's where it, here here's what Ephesus has you know they have mm-hmm. they have orthodox down but mm-hmm. this is what they miss and what does mm-hmm. jesus call them out on exactly what they miss mm-hmm. you know i mean yeah. hey I, like i am so guilty of the us for no more shut the door mentality. <laughs> I mean, I am. I mean, I am very guilty of that. And it wasn't until I moved to a new no state. It, I mean, you can feel free to use that. I plagiarized that from somebody, I'm sure. But <laughs> um, the, when I moved to a new state, and you know started going moving into circles that i didn't know people that's when i realized oh man i never i want people that move that are in a new place to yeah. to feel welcome and it changed my whole idea Dude. of hospitality and Dude, i don't
1: even know which alabama joke to make right now <laughs> I don't. Even, I don't know. I'm. I'm thinking of so many. I can't even. They're coming. They're flying by so fast.
0: I can't even. Do any more. of them have to do with us winning a championship uh, in football oh, this year? Is that
1: yuck. Oh my goodness! Oh my I, goodness!
0: You know, I think most of it's to do with us being the best at. at uh, sports. I don't know. Uh, maybe that was that'll give you some inspiration. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but you know, one one of the things that I, I was thinking about this, in all seriousness, okay, if we can get back on topic, uh, is uh, is you know Rosaria Butterfield's gospel comes with a house key or the the yeah the yeah. gospel comes with the house yeah. key. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh man, we were talking about that this week and just how oh, convicting man. that that book really well, talk is. Talk about books you wish you never read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> those, are, those are the ones and and if I could put in a plug for that book to say yeah. the audio version of that book is phenomenal cuz she reads it and so she mm. gets to certain hymns and things and songs yeah. and and then she reads in the tone of her mom and and uh and there's certain things about the way she reads it and the characterization huh. she puts on certain things that's so moving and especially when it gets I don't want to spoil anything but when it gets to the end with her or toward the end of the book with her mom and oh man that is it brought tears to my eyes just listening to her read that and recount that. Yeah. Her, you know, it's a personal story of hers, and so it's it's just yeah. a it's very moving. So I could recommend the audio book on that one for sure. Hmm. That's awesome, so, dude. But man, that's a Hello? that's a lot to unpack. In yep. let me ask you this real quick. Just I got yep. one last question because it, it's one that right before you that... play the
1: right before you play the Justin Bieber outro. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right um is this it begins every letter and we could even save this to next week if you want to but but every letter begins with to the angel and i have i struggle with that for so long i have no idea what it means thoughts in 30 seconds what does it mean
1: (sighs) um not a good start (laughs) not entirely sure and Uh, I've got some ideas every commentator I've read says this is hard here's my thought so I feel I feel really safe not having uh, real strong convictions about that I'm in good company I think Um, but my I think the most important meaning of it is that what what John is is seeing is uh, the seven angels or the seven stars in Christ's hand are the seven angels to the churches, and those are the messengers from Christ to the church, so that there's there's an individual messenger um, and an individual attention to every church in in the hand of Christ all the way through, and I think it just heightens how fixed Jesus's eye is on on you, the church, and what you're going through. That that's the that's the greater meaning of it. Uh, who it is? Was it the local pastor? Was it uh, the actual angel? Um, it, that, it's tough to discern. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna camp on that real hard. I might not, not even say anything about it uh, this week. Maybe in the weeks to come. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts right now. If you have anything mm-hmm. send it to me
0: yeah um it, it's something i struggled over i think you know i've gone back and forth i started i think with that's uh, got to be the pastor that's got to be what he's talking about and then right. i think i'm not in that camp anymore i mean yeah uh again i'm like you i'm like well it means something and i'm sure it's profound and it's probably escaped me uh altogether but it it well if these
1: if these are going to be seven letters that are carried to these seven churches that they're not only symbolical and not only in revelation for the whole generation of the church age then um, it is it, it's specific to these to these letter to these churches whom who needs are going to be carried to uh, so to the messenger who's going to be taking this to the church in Ephesus write this um, uh, so. Mm, yeah. So, so he, he's telling he's telling John the one that you're going to give this to to take to Ephesus, write this. Right? You got you got somebody in mind, uh, Titus or uh, Epaphras, one of those guys, whatever. Mm. Whoever's going to carry this to Ephesus, to them, write this.
0: That's possible. It is. It is possible. My concern, and and that's a, that's a really good idea, um, is that. Um, I guess he has seven stars in his right hand and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and it would seem that Christ is concerned with the angel of that church
1: And I think it's concerned that Christ has an angel for the churches that he is concerned for so he Mm -hmm. has messengers, he has uh, mediums to use that generically, he has he has that specifically for every church, because even the seven lampstands is is a way, I think, to describe the church. Uh, what's going on in these churches is the uh, perfect seven-spirited expression of Christ's concern for the whole church. Uh, so that there are seven messengers is just fitting, fitting. That doesn't mean that there are only seven that mm-hmm. in heaven. That we will show up and Jesus is going to have seven stars sure. in his hand. That this is a this is symbolism until John tells us that it's not.
0: Yeah. Is there a possibility that it's an angel that he's talking about?
1: That, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Who am I? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it seems like it's not the angelic fall down on your face angel like he's already seen. Why not? Um because the lampstands are the main thing and he's actually being told to write and speak to the angel when in the rest of revelation the angels seem to be giving messages uh to John or to someone else so that's one thought
0: hmm yeah it's interesting it's a i, I don't know i I've gone back and forth like i say and I
1: think it's a, it's a weird situation to have John um, writing to an angel when the angels are typically the ones bringing revelation through scripture. So that would be just that would just be
0: unique. I wouldn't know what that means. In this case though the revelation has come to John and not to an angel.
1: And that's what
0: I'm saying. The angels though are I mean they're ministering spirits and the idea would be, I mean, if you're looking at Jewish Tabernacle Temple language and kind of themes going throughout, the lampstands and there and the the holy place representing the celestial Uh, realm of angels and the connection between stars and angels I mean it can get you can get quickly where you're, you're starting to describe the kind of conspiracy theory guy you know like listen to my idea here it's you know all of this connects to all of these other things and you're like before long people are just I mean not that you'll ever even even talk about most of this from the pulpit but it's just you know what it's interesting it's
1: also possible that you and i disagree which happens once a week and would make twice for this week yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Let's not get in let's not get into the other one. We're way too late in the podcast to get into uh to get into religious liberty and all that. Oh my gosh. Oh
0: man. That would that would be an epic discussion for another day. But yeah. needless to say, I'm uh, excited about your passage. I aim to actually even reference your passage in my passage. And um and so it's uh it's an exciting it's an exciting thing. I, I, I think both of these passages lend themselves to um you know the preaching of the word of god and building up of his body so it's going to be pretty awesome yeah thanks for helping
1: me write my sermon once again
0: (laughs) (laughs) and you as well all right we'll see you next week see you next week for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing, following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones Podcast.